0: Good morning, everyone. It is Saturday, January the 4th, 2020. It is currently 8.45 a.m. Central Time. Well, late last night, I did a special live broadcast for the Theology Central Podcast. And in that live broadcast, I made a very important point. And I want to repeat that point here because it's going to serve as a foundation for what I'm about to share with you. In that live broadcast, I stated this, the enemy of theological and biblical truth is emotions and feelings. The enemy of biblical and theological truth is emotions and feelings. Now, let me explain what I meant. When I open the Bible and I read the Bible, I will find passages that declare truth. I will find passages that declare truth about God, that declares truth about morality. And guess what? That truth is stated and it doesn't care about your feelings or emotion. My job is to read the Bible, observe what it says, and interpret what it says, and then Live in accordance to it, to obey it. Now, if my emotions and feelings get involved, I may read a passage that gives me a teaching about morality or about eternity, about God judging, about God declaring something to be a sin, God hating certain actions and attitudes, and my emotion may say, "Well, I don't feel like that's that bad. I don't. I don't feel like it's an issue. I. I. I don't like that idea. I don't like the way that feels. I. I." I don't like it. And so our emotion will get involved and then what we will have a tendency to do is either start twisting the scriptures or trying to reinterpret the scriptures to be in accordance with how we feel. We don't like it. We don't feel, it doesn't make us feel good. So we change it or ignore it. And we go and live our life sometimes not in accordance with the theological and biblical truth, but in accordance with how we feel. Our emotion. Feelings and emotion will attack theological and biblical truth. Emotions and feelings, if it becomes the lens through which you do hermeneutics or or the lens in which you interpret the Bible, you're going to interpret the Bible to be in accordance with how you feel, which will lead you astray and lead you into, well, a false interpretation and lead you into heresy and false belief. It's that simple. Uh, Emotions and feelings The Bible Bible doesn't consider that. It doesn't take it into, uh, it doesn't doesn't care one way or another. And you can go back and listen to everything I had to say about that. Now, in that live broadcast, we looked at the lyrics of a song by Sam Hunt, who's a, a popular kind of a contemporary country artist. He uses a lot of other elements from different genres. We won't get into a whole music discussion. And the name of the song is called Sinning With You. And in the song I'm going to oversimplify maybe the meaning of the song but he he the he the artist is clearly giving you this idea that he's involved in a relationship with a a female clearly there's a physical element to it and he doesn't believe He's sinning. He doesn't believe he's doing anything wrong. He doesn't believe that it's wrong, Yet he and he doesn't feel like he's sinning with this individual. Because he doesn't feel that way. He doesn't feel, and it's all about his feelings, his feelings, his feelings. He doesn't feel it's wrong. He doesn't feel guilty. He doesn't feel shame. He doesn't. Now, yet the song seems to acknowledge that what they are doing isn't right. So it's this weird dichotomy, but what you see is that the feelings and the emotion is winning out, which, which supports my idea. Again, the call, song is called Sinning with You. It uh, was released on Friday. It's available on all music streaming services, or you can find the video on YouTube. Now, of course, Sam, Sam Hunt is not a Christian artist in any way, shape, or form, but it, um, it does support this idea. Now, in that live broadcast, I extended, I kind of moved my argument forward and I made this claim. Is it possible that within the church, a lot of the worship music, a lot of the praise and worship music creates this way of thinking, it approaches Christianity not from the position of biblical and theological truth that is clearly stated in Scripture and we're to obey it, but it turns Christianity into an emotional experience. It creates this idea that we are to approach God on the basis of emotion, and in much of the praise and worship song, it almost literally turns God not into the sovereign God, creator of heaven and earth, Um, who is holy, 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 separate from us and transcendent. It turns God into almost your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, or wife. And it speaks of him on very emotional terms. Well, is it possible that that praise and worship music creates a way of thinking in the minds of people who attend these churches and sing these songs, That they then, when they open the scriptures, they approach it again from the same perspective, an emotional perspective. How does it make me feel? And their, their, their hermeneutic is, I read the text, how does it make me feel? And my feeling determines the meaning. That is how I think some people approach the scripture. And I believe they're being taught to approach the scripture that way, in many cases, through the praise and worship that occurs in the church, and through the lyrics they are singing. Now, that that is a major claim, I know, but I think there is some truth to it. So this is what I want to do. I, I See, on Sunday afternoons, when I leave Victory Baptist Church, we usually get out of church around 12.15, 12.20, whenever we finish up and I get in the car to drive home. If I turn on American Family Radio here in the Abilene, Texas area, it's 91.3 FM, there is a program on called under, that is called Understanding the Times. Now, I don't agree with everything they say. I don't even agree with everything possibly that you're about to hear, but I always find the program to be interesting. They, they bring up a lot of uh, important issues that are happening in the world and happening in the culture, and they bring up a lot of issues that are happening within the church, for the last two weeks, they have focused on the worship wars. Now, this this originally these programs aired earlier in somewhere in 2019, and as we got to the end of 2019, going into 2020, they decided to re-air them. So they've been around for a while. I, I you may have heard them. I don't know. I don't the understanding the time program is not a very a, a, you know it's not well known as some other programs. Uh, but what I want to do is I'm going to share part one. Of this. It's called, again, it's called Understanding the Times, Worship Wars Part 1, and I'm going to play it for you. Now, I'm going to play the whole thing with all their commercials, all their ads, everything, because if we're going to use it, I want them to be able to promote their ministry, and so then you can look them up and, or subscribe to their podcast, and you can keep up with them. Again, I don't agree with everything they have to say, but um, just because you don't agree with everything doesn't mean that they don't bring up some important points. I will challenge you this. They're gonna be talking about music. They're gonna be talking about lyrics. They're gonna be talking about artists and lots of claims are gonna be made. Interpretation of lyrics are going to occur. Look everything up, they say. If they look up a song, if they they give you the name of the song and only give you partial lyric, go look look up the whole lyrics, all the lyrics, and then see if you agree with their interpretation. Because interpreting a song based off one lyric is is not very fair. And I think sometimes that this occurs. Maybe it occurred in part two. I can't remember. Um, But definitely check everything out. The reason I'm playing this, though, is it... It goes along with this idea that I'm offering up. I'm offering up that there's an emotionalism that has crept into Christianity. And now we approach God and we approach scripture based on how I feel, how it makes me feel. And if it doesn't make me feel a certain way, then I throw that idea out. I, re- I reject it. And if you don't believe me, look what's happening right now in the, Methodist, the United Methodist Church. Uh, It was announced, I think on Friday, that the United Methodist Church, it looks like, is going to split. And you're going to have one side that's the traditional side, and the other side is going to be the more liberal. I think the news article used the term tolerant. And the liberal tolerant side is going to accept homosexual marriage and accept the ordination of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender clergy. Now, they're doing so not because of the Bible, the Bible is very clear on those issues. It's not complicated. There's lots of there's lots of biblical th- uh things that we could disagree with and have arguments on because the text is somewhat complicated. The text is pretty clear when it comes to the subject of uh sexual morality and and ministers, etc., etc., etc. um and but hey they don 't like it, so they 're just going to change it, going to disregard it, but yet they 're going to still claim to be christian they 're still going to have, claim to have a form of godliness, but it 's going to be empty of truth and it 's going and this happens because of emotion. You start talking about the ordination of women it 's going to it's it 's argued from an emotional perspective, not the text so much of 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 arguments today within Christianity are not text-based. What does the text actually say? Let's expound it. Let's, let's exegete it. Let's study it. No, 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 no. Emotions and feelings and, and how this could make people feel, that becomes the issue. In fact, I believe I have the news article. Let me see if I have it here. Maybe, I may not. It may be gone. Oh, here, no, here it is. This, this was posted on, uh, December the 31st, 2019, again, today's January the 4th, New Church of England Archbishop says Bible must bend to modern sexual morality. The Bible must bend to modern sexual morality. We look at what the culture is doing and then we must bend the scriptures to fit that. We have to, we have to, we have to understand the times and we have to bend the scriptures to it because we don't want people to feel bad. We don't want people to be offended. See, that, that, is, that, that goes along with this, this, it, this emotionalism, right? This sentimentalism that comes into the church and it turns everything into this wishy-washy kind of idea. Follow your feelings, follow your heart. And the Bible comes along and says, no, 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 your heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. The Bible comes in and says, no, here is truth. It doesn't care about your feelings. And I believe it's possible that what has created this starts in churches when it comes time for what they call praise and worship, where it's all driven to the emotion. Let's experience a God in an emotional way and let's forget objective truth. Now, I'm not against emotion. I'm not against feelings. I'm I'm not discounting them. We are human beings. We have them and they are a part of the Christian life and a part of the Christian experience but they can't be driving the train. They're not the way we approach God. We approach God based off truth. That's how we approach God. We live our Christian life according to truth and the scriptures first. Whatever emotion is in there, they have to be in their proper place. They cannot be the way we interpret things. They cannot be the way we decide how to live because they will mislead us every single time. All right, that gives you kind of my idea So I'm gonna share this audio, Worship Wars, again from Understanding the Time is the name of the the program and the podcast. You can look it up online. And I want you to listen to what they say about Worship Wars because I think some of the things they say kind of supports. they, They don't, they're not gonna, they're not gonna completely make the argument that I'm making, but in what they say about what's happening in the in worship in churches, I think supports a little bit of what I'm saying. I think what's happening in worship, I'm more concerned. Now, with the style of music, I'm not, I'm not even as concerned with lyrics. I am concerned that there is a discipleship that is occurring in worship, but it's not stated. That people are just experiencing something, and it's changing the way they think about Scripture and how they approach God. And no one is talking about that aspect of it. So that's the way I'm approaching this, but they're going to give us some information, and I want you to think, what are people learning through their worship time. That's the way I want you to approach this. They're going to have their own ideas and their own theories, and you can listen to it. And, and well, let me know what you think. Send me an email at newsif at Newsif at yahoo.com. Share your thoughts and opinions on all of this. And uh, and if you need help finding all of our podcasts, you can email me at newsif at I can help you be able to find all of our podcasts so that you can listen and follow and listen to the live broadcast when they're actually live. All right, we'll stop right there. All right, here we go, are you ready? Worship Wars part one, listen carefully. This is being shared, not because I agree with everything, but I think they bring up some very important um, points and they share some important information about what's happening in churches all across the United States of America. Listen and think carefully. Here we go.
1: There is a war going on. It's called The Worship Wars. That's next.
0: The Bible teaches that in the end days, an apostasy will sweep this earth unlike anything ever seen before. Ladies and gentlemen, we are living in these days now.
2: There is a generation that will produce
0: churches that are completely indistinguishable from the nightclubs and bars of the world,
2: yet they still claim to be Christians.
3: The music, the light, the
4: crowds it looks like a rock concert
5: and the lines around the block are enough to make any nightclub envious
0: but this this is church
1: welcome to understanding the times radio with jan Markel. brought to you by olive tree ministries our media team is taking a much needed christmas break so we are presenting what became our most appreciated two-part radio series a year ago on music in the church the worship wars how did music become the great divider we'll talk about it with our guest pastor brandon holthouse and eric barger
6: if we're really going to be honest about the subject we have to admit that music is one of the central battlegrounds of worship it's a tough one because the bible doesn't say thou shall not listen to this song What the Bible gives us is principles about the holiness of God, about the nature of worship, and we are to cling to those principles and seek to apply them. I think we can say this, however. Insofar as we're introducing elements into our worship through music which are unholy, which are flesh-centered, which turn our worship into mantras and repetitions as opposed to substantial declarations like the ones we find in the Psalms about the living God, we're going to be missing the mark. And the problem is, like a delicious bowl of Captain Crunch cereal, if you keep feeding that to a child, they're gonna keep loving it, but it doesn't make it healthy for them. And so we have an entire generation of children that are being spoon-fed Captain Crunch theology in their worship service, and it's toxic. It's literally changing their appetites to like things which are unholy and unhealthy for them. That means we're gonna have to go back to some basics. Simple things, singing the Psalms, speaking basic truths singing with holiness without all the trappings that the world has in a way that we are really lifting up our hearts before god and not simply being caught up into an emotional frenzy
7: welcome to the program i am so glad you're able to join me today We're beginning an interesting couple weeks series here on the worship wars, music in the church, and there's no greater divide in the church today than the style of music being played. And the divide is usually age-driven. One generation wants one style, and another generation wants a different kind of music, perhaps more subdued, maybe a return to hymns sung years ago. Equally controversial is the character and reputation of groups producing today's music. So while some would disagree, two large empires produce a great deal of today's Christian music. One would be Jesus Culture, the headquarter out of Bethel Church, Redding, California, and Hillsong, which originates out of Australia. These folks have branches around the world, and in some cases, the theology expressed in some of the music sung in churches today is not the best. One song sings about God's reckless love. I want to say more about that, but the YouTube version of that song has almost 85 million listeners right now. It may not be sound theology, but no one seems to mind. Is God's love really reckless? Well, Hillsong is called an international empire, but is it sound?
6: Hillsong has produced more than 40 albums, which have sold over 11 million copies worldwide. But the soundness of the theology of many of these songs is suspect. Lyrics have nothing distinctively Christian to them. In fact, they could easily be mistaken for a high school love letter. The lyrics of this song are less ambiguous, but contain serious doctrinal error. Nowhere do the scriptures teach that an unsatisfying solitude in heaven was the reason for the incarnation. In fact, Redemption is first and foremost for the glorification of the Triune God.
7: So, because of these controversies, I began getting emails some time ago. I just read one quickly here. Lisa writes: The songs being played on Christian radio that are from Hillsong, Jesus Culture, and other artists who are New Apostolic Reformation, emergent, other things, are prevalent in the churches, even where you don't necessarily hear false doctrine being preached from the pulpit. It's entering in through the music, and the people seem to be clueless. Lisa says the older people don't necessarily like some of it, but they are seeing the young people get excited about the Lord, except it's a different Jesus. So my husband and I are quite distraught by this trend, and it seems that the Christian music industry has been hijacked. We would very much like more information on this. There isn't much safe Christian music out there anymore. So that has set the stage for the programming here. I am joined for the balance of the programming by a pastor who is outspoken about using proper music in the church. Brandon Holthouse, pastors Rock Harbor Church in Bakersfield, California. Eric Barger also joins me. He has a background in music as a musician, as a record producer, and more. That would be years ago. And gentlemen, thank you both for joining me for the program.
4: Thanks, Jan, for having me, and
7: thanks, Eric, too. Brandon, you as a pastor, and you said something interesting to me the other day, and you screen all the songs from your worship leader, but you produce seven major issues with Christian music these days. I'm just going to hit each of the seven bullet points, and I want us to discuss them for a minute. You cite the seven issues as non-theological lyrics, romantic lyrics to God. Number three, anthropocentric lyrics instead of theocentric lyrics. Four, the artist or the group's personal lives or theological stands. The lyrics might be fine, but the source, the artist or the groups are either apostates promoting false doctrine or promoting false worship methods such as yoga, contemplative prayer, or they come out as practicing homosexuals such as Jennifer Knapp or Ray Bolts, or at least supporting the LGBT movement. Number five, you state ungodly performances. Here you cite, and I've seen this online Hillsong's New York Women's Conference having the youth pastor impersonate the naked cowboy. This is horrific. I've seen it. Hillsong having a Christmas performance in which they portrayed Jesus being born in a bar. And they have taken that down from YouTube, but they did have this performance. Or the Wild Goose Festival, which was a four-day extravaganza of music involving reconciliation yoga, progressive Christian mysticism. Number six, the use of long and loud music sessions, 45 minutes to an hour, to put the people in an altered state of consciousness knowingly or unknowingly. Music is used as a stimulus bombardment to the emotions and physiology of the person to bypass the intellect and create a mental state. Number seven, worshiptainment. This derives from the seeker-friendly movement. Artists are creating a Broadway type of show to entertain. In other words, smoke and lights, Elvis impersonators, Michael Jackson thriller reenacted. Many of them will misapply Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians 9.22, which states, by all means, I might save some and use it to justify what they do. Brandon, as a pastor, then do you take a lot of this back to the church growth movement?
4: Well, Jan, I certainly do. And I think a lot of it started with that. The intent was to reach the younger crowd. So with that intent, they said, well, how are we going to do this? Well, we're going to do it through music, and we're going to play certain songs with certain lyrics, we're gonna play it at a certain volume level and we're gonna do it at the expense of a lot of other people, particularly the older generation. So that's caused a lot of the culture wars that we're seeing in the churches. Now, as you know, as people walk into some of these worship places, they have to be given earplugs that's because right. the music played so loud, and sometimes they're playing secular music and having Elvis impersonators or whatnot just to entertain people. So yes, it definitely comes out of the church growth movement. That is one of the target audiences of the church growth movement, and that's become a problem today.
7: Eric, is. This go back to Peter Drucker? Is that who this goes back to?
5: I think this whole idea has taken quite a while to involve. It is probably pretty hard to point at just one particular thing, but Peter Drucker certainly had a big influence because the whole teaching of the idea that you're going to build a big church or a bigger church, and this is going to be one of the main elements by changing the music in the church to bring in younger people. And we all want to see younger people come to church, we all want to see churches grow, but how we're doing it, I think the ethics and the whether it's biblical or not, the way we're doing it, I think is very important. These days, anything goes, and uh, you just brought up the idea of earplugs and so on. It's with the musicians, the worship leader, the leaders of the church, the sound people. It has so many different elements, it's hard to really say in each church where it is. It started, I think, with this lure that if we did particular things, and one of them, like I said, is music, that it was going to inspire people to come and sit in the seats.
7: You were a record producer, and my understanding is anything above 80 decibels is not healthy. We're going to play some clips today, and folks are going to hear they're way above 80 decibels. And this is going on in most churches. Some folks are fine with it. Some are not so fine with it. What's the worst that can happen, Eric?
5: You've got the physical problems that can take place because uh, if if you're listening continually to things that are 80 and above, your ears are going to suffer for it. As Brandon pointed out, there is the element that in some cases with some people, there is an altered state of consciousness mm-hmm. that takes place. And we're not saying that people go into a complete trance, but we're saying that there are things that go on psychologically that maybe people don't realize are going on. Maybe they do. Either way, it's not good for people. It's certainly not good for the congregation. And we're missing the point. In worship services, we're to be, if we're playing, singing, singing, etc it should be about opening the hearts of people to prepare their hearts for the word of god we have music first in our services and there's biblical reasons for that that we won't go into and don't have time to go into we want to open the hearts of people to receive god's word not just get them into a frenzied state
7: right in talking to you gentlemen and i found it intriguing that many many churches today Brandon correct me if i'm wrong but they're having 45 50 minutes of music and 15 20 minutes of the word am i right
4: Yeah it's been a total reversal if you look at the church in the past the centralized aspect of the church was the teaching of the word the old sermons the old pastors of yesteryear sermons went 50 to 60 minutes mm-hmm. now it's completely flip flop you got worship services lasting 45 minutes to an hour Then the pastor gets out there, gives a sermonette of about 20 minutes. So it's a total role reversal that now worship is the focus, not the Word of God. And when you get that 20-minute sermonette, that's on a second or third grade level. That's intentional many times. They want to stay away from controversy. They Mm -hmm. want to stay away from issues that would upset people. So they minimize the teaching aspect, but then overdo the worship. And then, like Eric said, back to the music, putting people in an altered state of consciousness. I'm not saying that every time someone does this, it happens. But studies have shown from the secular world that if you have a high, high bass or high volumes of music and you do it for a prolonged period of time, it does put people into almost a trance state where their thinking is suspended. In fact, in some articles, they note it only takes 13 to 15 minutes for someone to go into this state. So it's a real phenomenon, whether it happens or not in every church service. That's the problem we're starting to see, and, and the evidence is all you have to do is go on YouTube and watch these frenzied church services where they're jumping around, going crazy, having mm-hmm. ecstatic utterances, going into trances, and they're saying that's of the Holy Spirit.
7: If you just join me, folks, you may wonder what our conversation is about. You're listening to Understanding the Times Radio. I'm Jan Markell, and I have on the line from Bakersfield, California, Pastor Brandon Holthouse, Rock Harbor Church, Learn more at rockharborchurch.net, rockharborchurch.net. Kind of the familiar voice by now of Eric Barger, who has a background in music and record producing, etc. I do want to play another clip. I think, uh, Eric, you wanted to weigh in.
5: Well, I just wanted to say that I can just just hear right now some people saying, but wait a second if, if I do what you guys are talking about if I, if I don't have this particular kind of music um, people will leave the church I mean my growth will go down Your our growth. offerings will go down yep. all those things listen we're there to please God mm-hmm. and God is the one that we should depend on to fill the seats as he sees fit not by right. just our ideas and by the ideas of the church growth movement that I think has done more to damage the church right. than anything else and we've got to depend on God that's the point of it
7: I want to spend just a minute here on some of the words being sung because <laughs> in some cases I'm not sure I mean you can't tell if it's being sung to God if the words are being sung to somebody's spouse or what and I tease this with my intro and that's the reckless love reckless love done by I believe Hillsong am I right uh, jesus culture I jesus think, culture it? either okay it's got 85 million listens on youtube i don't think that god's love is reckless i'd like to play apologist mike winger and i think he expounds on this brilliantly and i'd like to come back and discuss it
2: His love is never ending Uh, scripture says love never fails god is love god is eternal his love is never ending literally that's like a, a theological bedrock statement you could make that god's love never fails and he is love and he's eternal so his love's never ending but then we get to the word reckless and by the way i do this with worship songs and you should too you should think it through you should ponder it through you should ask yourself if you can sing this to god and mean it i think this is just being smart being good, faithful Christians that we would be pondering our words we declare to God before declaring them. So reckless. Is God's love reckless? The simple answer is no. In no sense of the word, and I'm going to unpack this now, but in no sense of the word is God's love reckless. Here's the definition of the word reckless. Of a person or their actions. It's an adjective, and it, it means without thinking or caring about the consequences of an action. Example, reckless driving. You might think, oh, we could still use that. He didn't care about the consequences of his actions, but that's not true. When Jesus went to the cross, all he cared about was the consequences of his actions. He was redeeming the world, and he cared about that a lot. God so loved the world. That's not reckless. That is targeted and intentional. That is all about the actions and the results of those actions. And we find the cross is not a reckless act at all in any sense of the word. The synonyms of reckless, I mean, just look at these rash, careless, thoughtless, heedless, unheeding, hasty, just look at these things, impulsive, impetuous. Like These are not descriptors of God who, before I was born, he was singing over me. Before I was even alive, God was loving me. God was planning out the path of salvation. All this stuff was planned out. That's not reckless. That's the opposite of reckless.
7: Pastor Brandon house I think you would agree with me that he outlined that very effectively. And yet this song is one of the most popular contemporary songs ever. Yeah, he
4: did. Let me add a note to that. The problem we start having is these songwriters don't have good theological backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Songs from yesteryear were were actually penned by pastors or people who had went to seminary and would know better that God's love is not reckless, but has the other meanings of agape, paleo, and other nuances that the Greek gives. So we're having people write theological songs, but their theology is wrong. They're pouring different meanings into those songs, and that's exactly what cults do.
7: Eric, you want to speak into that?
5: Along these same lines, I think we can say that most of the people who are gathered to play music in a church and who come from the, the congregation, we don't know where their discernment level is, and everybody moves along, hopefully, and gets better as they go along with these kind of things. Sometimes, The discernment about how we approach music and how we pick the songs that we're going to play, and the ideas of what's biblical and what's not just because it's being presented by a Christian or sold as a Christian piece of music, that doesn't give it a free pass. By the way, I want to correct us on something. Uh, Reckless Love is by Corey Asbury, and he is from Bethel Music, but it's not actually Jesus Culture or Bethel Music, which are two entities.
7: Well, nonetheless, I think he has one of the most popular songs ever. It's being sung in many, many, many churches is my only point. Brandon, you said to me that today's music is more like ancient paganism than anything else. I know you don't mean all music across the board in the church, but too much of it, it resembles ancient paganism.
4: Well, it does. And what was the intent of ancient paganism and their music? It was to unite them with their God that they were worshiping. I can go back to the Polynesians. To the African tribes or even the American Indian tribes. What were they doing? They were using music to put people into an altered state of consciousness to unite with that God. I can even go to Strabo in Greece. He was a Greek philosopher, historian. He was writing how the Greeks and the barbarians were performing music to whatever God they were worshiping to put them in an altered state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. They were doing it through music. There's a parallel going on here. When you start seeing how ancient pagans did it or even the barbarians or the Greeks did it, and then you go into a modern-day worship and see what's happening, there are uncanny parallels between the two that you just come away saying, whoa, you brought a pagan methodology into this. And this is the same mistake Israel made in the worship of Yahweh. They would incorporate pagan practices in their worship.
7: So is today's music just another kind of end time apostasy? Could be. We'll talk about that when we come back. Don't go away.
4: It's easy to get thousands of people to come to your church. Easy. Just have good entertainment. And so you go to worship services and you're entertained. The music, the lights, the action, you are entertained. The preacher comes out, he has a lot of funny stories or heart-rending stories, and you leave contented, you leave satisfied emotionally. I'm for numbers, I'm for reaching people for Christ. But when you become numbers driven, then everything in the worship service is aimed at that. And see, if you have numbers, you have to have big churches if you have big churches, you've got to have big debts. So you've got to have people to come. You've got to entertain them and cause them to be emotionally satisfied. Once again, we're back to this man-centeredness that has destroyed worship in the 20th century.
1: If we've made a difference in your world, we love helpful feedback. Write us through our website, olivetreeviews.org. That's olivetreeviews.org. You can call us Central Time at at 763-559-4444. That's 763-559-4444. More in a moment with Jan and our guest for the hour. We are entering our 20th year of broadcasting Understanding the Times radio. We started on a Twin Cities Christian station AND NOW AIR ON 850 RADIO STATIONS AS WELL AS MANY ELECTRONIC OUTLETS. THANK YOU FOR MAKING THAT POSSIBLE. IF OLIVE TREE MINISTRIES IS NEW TO YOU, GET ACQUAINTED WITH US THROUGH OUR WEBSITE, OLIVETREEVIEWS.ORG. THAT'S OLIVETREEVIEWS.ORG. THERE YOU WILL FIND A WEALTH OF INFORMATION AND TOOLS TO HELP YOU GROW IN YOUR CHRISTIAN FAITH. We're here to help you understand the times, contend for the faith, and be watchmen on the wall, and to remind you that nothing is falling apart, but everything is falling into place.
5: Really, a lot of what's missing is that on Sunday morning, there is this decided effort to have a concert instead of a worship service. good. And if there's not instruction coming from the pastor, the leaders in the church, from the worship leader, and it's reiterated over and over to the musicians so that they're all on the same page, moving in the same direction, the whole concert idea comes into play. And we are definitely performing when we're on a stage or platform on a Sunday morning in a church. But who are we playing for and why are we playing? This is not a concert. This is to to prepare the heart of the people in the congregation, the hearts of of them who listen. Prepare them, like we said earlier, for the Word of God.
1: If you miss a program, you can always access the program electronically on our website at oneplace.com or on our YouTube channel under Jan Markell and Olive Tree Ministries. We insert images and videos there for those who learn visually. Or download the OnePlace.com mobile app and have the program delivered to your devices. Let's return to Jan Markell, Pastor Brandon Holdhouse, and Eric Barger.
0: Just look up the video, Fill Me Up, God. I think it's about 17 minutes by Jesus Culture. I think I counted 144 times she sings, Fill Me Up, God. 144 times. Jesus said, when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Did you hear that? Heathen use vain repetitions. Heathen like Hindus who repeat mantras over and over again, the same words over and over again. Just like the beetle George Harrison, introduced to us singing Hare Krishna at the end of his song, He's got us singing that. These chants, they're meant to draw up this kundalini serpent spirit in you that just with Hindus, it gives them this electrical impulse and these jerkings and these shakings.
7: Okay, welcome back. You may wonder what on earth are we talking about? Let me reset the stage because I have been contacted by a number of people to address the issue of well the worship wars and that's what's going on in our churches today as people write and tell me they visited up to 20 churches just trying to find music that isn't going to be detrimental to their health or to find music whose words are not way off base, or to find music representing theology that is way off base. You've got a lot of groups representing, for instance, Kingdom Now Theology. The church is going to make the world perfect. Well, that's nonsense. And yet, lots of songs are singing about that. We're looking at a couple of organizations that are very successful, and they produce some music that's beautiful. Song produces lots of music that sounds very nice. Other songs are off-base. Same with Jesus Culture. Far more than those two organizations, but those are prominent today. Again, this would be the worship wars going on in the church. I'm talking to Pastor Brandon Holthouse from Bakersfield, California. You can learn more at rockharborchurch.net. You can also find his prophecy updates on YouTube. Just look up the prophecy update, Rock Harbor Church. Again, it's the one that's in Bakersfield, California. Eric Barger, you can learn more at ericbarger.com contact the men through their websites. I said, I want to talk a little bit about, is this just another form of end-time apostasy? And I personally think it is. And we opened, discussing a little bit about the church growth movement, which has led to some apostasy. We've talked a little bit about hiring secular musicians. Smaller churches cannot Possibly compete with smoke and lights and all the things that the larger churches are bringing in to attract heavily a younger crowd. Folks without good music, the churches that don't have this kind of music, well, people are probably going to leave it. Eric, talk to me just a little bit about this form of end time apostasy in the music. After all, your background before you came to the Lord was the music industry.
5: Well, if there's weak teaching in the church, or if there's incorrect, that is, uh, anti-biblical teaching in the church, it's going to filter into the music. I think that the standard about how strong our lyrics need to be, how biblically Mm they need to be, the attitude, you know, and I think really a lot of what's missing is that on Sunday morning, there is this decided effort to have a concert instead of a worship service. good. And if there's not instruction coming from the pastor, the leaders in the church, from the worship leader, and it's reiterated over and over to the musicians so that they're all on the same page, moving in the same direction, the whole concert idea comes into play. And we are definitely performing when we're on a stage or platform on a Sunday morning in a church. But who are we playing for and why are we playing? This is not a concert. This is to to prepare the heart of the people in the congregation, the hearts of, of them who listen, prepare them, like we said earlier, for the Word of God. And that, to me, is such a bottom line, it can't be said too often. So the bad theology can come in, and certainly it has come in when you see how many emergent church ideas we see just popping up where the lyrics just are a kind of you can almost get by you know you try to do just as as little as you can you don't want to be too spiritual you don't want to turn people off you certainly don't want to bring any conviction to their hearts by what you're saying all these things add up to problems to me
7: pastor brandon holthouse you said to me apostasy is having its way in the music industry Why don't you elaborate on that
4: it's not only happening in the pulpit the great falling away yes. as we're noting constantly church after church, person after person is falling from the faith. They might have started out well, but then they are not finishing well. Well, that same aspect where people are departing from the faith and accepting things that are not biblical, it's now happening in the music, and we shouldn't be shocked by that. So now it's affecting how the theology is being communicated through the music. And again, I come back to the church growth movement, Mm -hmm. and what Peter Drucker was kind of instructing a lot of the church growth movement guys to do through music. And a lot of what he was telling them to do is do target marketing. Give them what the world wants. Make sure you're results-oriented and you have profitability in what you're accomplishing through music. Basically, that means nickels and noses. Does the music pack the church? And if it does work, then keep doing it. So then you get into that entertainment part. And then it came came into pragmatism. Well, if it works, do it. And so everyone starts following that. So basically, the ends justify the means. And the ends were bigger churches. Well, they equated bigger churches with, well, we're evangelizing, we're reaching a lot of people. And again, it was a come-and-see mentality Mm -hmm. versus a go-and-tell of the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. It's the exact opposite of what Jesus told us to do. So the methodology is wrong just for the fact of come and see we're not supposed to do that we're supposed to go and tell but all that to say is this when nickels and noses becomes the main focus of the church we're going to do anything it takes to make that happen and if it means turning up the music loud, right. if it means playing secular music or getting into worship of having an elvis impersonator or reenacting michael jackson's thriller if it puts people in the seats going to do it. And that's part of the great apostasy. Apostasy is not only the departure from the faith, it's a departure from correct behavior and correct methodology. That's right. You have to encompass all of that. And so what we're seeing is bad methodologies, bad behavior. The performer's lifestyle, if they claim to be a Christian, should be consistent with what they're singing about.
7: You're listening to Understanding the Times Radio. Jan Markel here talking to Pastor Brandon Holthouse and Eric Barger about the worship wars, music in the church. Listen, someone who's perfected the marketing, and I want to play a clip. It's less than a minute. Again, Hillsong is unparalleled when it comes to their marketing. And let me just play a quick clip, get your thoughts on it. Come on, Jesus
3: is about to come and fill us once again!
6: The worship in song is unparalleled. Have you ever been told that you're, you're part of a cult? <laughs> yep. The music's amazing. Phenomenal. It's not cool to be a Christian or to be religious at all. The number of Australians who call themselves Christian is falling and fast. There are almost a million fewer Christians than there were just 5 years ago. But there is one Christian denomination that's bucking that trend. Each week, nearly 40,000 Australians flock to 27 locations around Australia for what is surely the most iconic evangelical church in
7: Australia. Hillsong.
3: Praise God today, come on. Let's put our hands together.
7: Brandon, they're getting them into church. You can't get them into church any other way. Hillsong's figured out a way to do it. Wrong?
4: Yeah, the methodology has to be right, because here's the deal. What they're getting is an experience. Even you see this in Christian books now. They're selling an experience with God versus understanding theology and how to apply and behave correctly. Now it's, I need to experience something with God. And so they go to these worship services. They get a liver quiver. And they come out saying, I had an experience with God. Well, nowhere in Scripture is that advocated. That gets into the realm of subjectivity. There's no theology behind it. And I think, again, it's a form of apostasy Mm -hmm. when people are just seeking an experience. Eric, your thoughts?
5: I think this needs to be said at some point, Jan. I don't want to miss saying it this program or the next either one. The leaders out there, worship leaders, pastors, someday we'll stand before God and give an account that's for right. what we did. And remember, we're going to be judged with a more strict or maybe a harder judgment, somebody might say. I would hate to think that because we used all these worldly ideas that really didn't depend on God at all to fill up the seats and to bring people in. And of course, we think by just getting them there, that's all that uh, that counts. Sometimes that's where it stops in the thinking of those in church now most of us hopefully are thinking also we get them in there maybe we can preach the gospel and they will be saved yes but the whole idea of how we got them there let's depend on god let's do what he says do and anytime we think that the ideas that every church is employing around us are the ones we ought to employ, why don't we go to the Word of God and see what God's Word says and then go to Him and say, Father, we depend on You completely. Lead us, guide us, direct us. And there needs to be that kind of teaching in the worship team and with the musicians and well with the whole church but you know we're talking about music today and we're talking about those who are presenting it before us and the problems that we see around us so leaders keep that in mind someday we'll stand before god let's make sure that we're doing what god wants us to do and just not what's a great plan that somebody wrote in a book
7: Yeah, here's another email. Mark wrote, The religion of Mystery Babylon is being born right now. As you have said many times, Jan, I never thought I'd see these things in my lifetime, but it is invading even churches that were once stalwart proponents of biblical truth. Hillsong, Jesus Culture, and many others have invaded my conservative evangelical church, and they absolutely will no longer Uttered the word rapture or reference current events, no matter how pertinent to biblical prophecy, it is breaking my heart. Another email from Susan. At some point, can you possibly address this question in a segment of your radio broadcast? How is it that there is some good worship music that comes from questionable doctrine of the very popular churches? I've referenced the popular churches here many times. For instance, and she cites Brian and Jen Johnson, they write some beautiful songs. I'm still a relatively new believer. I've listened to the words carefully. I can find nothing wrong with them. Brandon, what do you say to that?
4: Well, I would say that even a blind dog can find a bone every once in a while. Okay. But at the end of the day, your lifestyle and your theology has to match. And so if they're part of something that's not biblical, If there's issues in their life that's not biblical, like they practice certain things that are militated against by Scripture, then we come back and say, okay, you might have wrote one song that's good, but what about your lifestyle? What about Mm -hmm. all the other songs? What about your theology? What about the church you go to? It's a whole package, Christianity, it's a whole worldview, and yeah, you might be able to find things from Hillsong or some of these questionable groups that, okay, that's okay. But here's what the problem is for me from my pastoral standpoint. If I play that song in my worship service, I am giving tacit approval to that particular group, to that particular church they're a part of, say it's Hillsong or whatnot, and I can't do that because I can't make people stumble and make them think that, okay, Hillsong must be good because pastor played that.
7: Here's what I want to do. At the end of our segment here, I'm going to take a break. We're not quite there yet, though. And then what I want to do in my third segment is I want to interview Carol. She actually went to her church leadership. She's a part of a church in Texas. She went to her church leadership, and she said exactly what we've been talking about here for a lot of minutes. And she pointed to the inconsistencies, she pointed to the bad theology, she pointed to the repetitious music, she pointed to lots of things that were wrong. And this was a very solid church, a denomination that I think many would trust. And they blew her off. I'm going to bring her on in my third segment. But Eric, how would you advise someone to handle this?
5: Well, I think she did the right thing, Jan, because the scripture says we're to go to someone if we have a problem with something. That's what she did. She went directly to the leadership. She got a, an answer, a response that certainly was mind-blowing to her. But at the same token, she did the right thing. And I think that's the most important thing is we keep things in the biblical perspective.
7: Here's another area where I want to get to eventually, and we may have to tackle it next week, and I'm asking that you both would come back next week in part two of our series here on the worship wars going on in the church today, and that is the whole issue of theology. Now, I've already referenced that. I said a lot of these songs, they're singing about kingdom now, Brandon, if you could find the words you sent me the other day, it was just priceless because what folks are actually singing in church, they're singing this horrifically false theology. How about the prosperity theology? That really is Hillsong. Here's apologist Justin Peters.
1: Hillsong Church is word of faith. Everything we've been talking about, that's what they teach. A lot of their music, this is the kind of the musical arm, I suppose, some of their music is pretty good, and a lot of churches sing their music, and sometimes I'm asked, well, do you have a problem with singing Hillsong music? Some of their songs are okay. Not all of them, but some of them are okay. The lyrics are doctrinally sound. However, because of the popularity of their music, you see,
6: Hillsong uses their music as a hook. And they get their hooks into you through
1: their music, and then they pull you into their theology through their music. I would never be comfortable in singing a song from Hillsong in my church, knowing where it comes from.
7: Okay, prosperity theology, that's what's coming through some of these songs. Brandon, would you agree?
4: Absolutely. And you can see it peppered all through these artists' songs. And when you look at their lyrics, they tell you what they believe. For instance, there's a song out there by Carrie Job. She's New Apostolic Reformation Kingdom mm-hmm. now, Word of Faith. In one of her songs, she notes that Jesus's battle was in the grave. The war on death was waged. The power of hell forever broken. Well, that's classic Word of Faith theology, mm-hmm. where Jesus had to go to hell to finish the work of atonement. Well, we know that's not theologically correct. He finished the work of atonement on the cross. He did not have to go to hell and continue to battle Satan and the demons to secure salvation, but that's classic word of faith. So yeah, you see it peppered all through there.
7: All right, gentlemen, would you kindly come back next week so we could do part two of this series? I'd really want to spend a little more time on the theology it's one thing to have the repetitious words, et cetera. It's another thing to have the volume that a lot of people are having to endure. We've already talked about earplugs are now being handed out before folks go into a sanctuary. It's another thing to have worshiptainment, which is not right. It's as a matter of fact, it's terrible. All sorts of things are going on. The theology that is being presented by some of these groups is just horrific. And folks, that is just more end-time raging apostasy, but this time it's sneaking in instead of from the pulpit, it's from the worship team, the music team, and thus we have the worship wars. What I want to do is I'm going to take my second break. When I come back, I'm going to talk to Carol. I may talk to her husband as well, and they approached their church, happened to be a Baptist church, and they presented all of these issues to them. A church in Texas, and the entire church leadership blew her off. They were not interested. I'll let her tell the story. Next week, we'll do at least for part of the hour. We'll do part two of the Worship Wars here with Eric Barger and Pastor Brandon Holthouse. Again, you can learn more about Pastor Holthouse at RockHarborChurch.net. RockHarborChurch.net. And you can find his prophecy updates on YouTube. They're usually weekly. And you know Eric is ericbarger.com. His books, DVDs, etc., articles at ericbarger.com. He has a background in the music industry, in the record industry. And therefore, I wanted to get both of their perspectives as we consider music in the church. It's the great controversy going on as I speak. Taking a break. Coming right back.
0: Are we singing or just being entertained? Are we singing good theology with dead hearts, without any joy? What about the use of the mind or emotions in worship? How should we think about singing psalms in worship? What should our position be on performance? How do we evaluate the presence of sensuality in worship, in music, and also in worship leadership. And how do we know when music is elevated too highly in the worship of God? But in all of this, I pray we will remember the words of Psalm 149. Praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, and his praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker.
1: Thank you for remembering us both prayerfully and financially. All gifts to Olive Tree Ministries are tax deductible. We are now in our 20th year of broadcasting and are heard coast to coast. Why not tell a friend to tune in to better understand the times, contend for the faith, and become watchmen on the Wall? More with Jan and her guest in a moment. Thank you for being a faithful radio supporter. Not every listener can support us financially, but all of you can pray for us that our outreach and goal of spreading the inconvenient truth would continue to grow. If Olive Tree Ministries and Understanding the Times Radio have made a difference in your life, add us to your daily prayer list. Like all frontline ministries, we experience daily attacks and setbacks as we try to bring listeners the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ and His soon return to rescue His church. Let us hear from you through our website, post office box, or telephone in the near future. Let's encourage one another as the hour grows late.
8: I'm learning there are many, many people that are wanting to have the kind of pastor that I now have. They're hungry for somebody who's going to on the word. They also, again, I mentioned a true shepherd is somebody who's going to protect a flock. Right. When somebody's playing music that you don't really know if is good or not, you need somebody in that kind of position that's going to filter. And I feel like it's very important to have a leader that will filter that.
1: Jan Markell will be speaking at the Proximity Prophecy Conference in Southern California Saturday, January 25th sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Tustin, California. You must register at cctustin.org. That's cctustin.org. We are wrapping up our discussion on the great divider of the church today, music. In our closing segment, Jan Markell talks to someone who approached church leadership on the topic to no avail. Hear Carol's story next.
7: And welcome back, folks. Remember, this program is always posted to my website on Saturday morning, olivetreeviews.org, olivetreeviews.org. Why don't you sign up if you'd like to have it downloaded to a device for the OnePlace.com mobile app? encourage you to sign up for my print and e-newsletter. We talk about these topics in my various newsletters. And if you do write to us, and particularly if you send a gift, would you always tell us what station or how you listen, what station, or perhaps you're a podcaster, helps us to know those things. Now, I want to move into my closing minutes here on Understanding the Times Radio. We've been talking about the worship wars for the hour. And I'm now talking to Carol, and we're not going to give last names at this point in time. Let me just sort of set the stage. And Carol, thank you, first of all, for joining me. I appreciate it a whole lot. I heard from you by way of email because you heard the programming I did of Dirk and Joan Miller. You heard about the loss of their daughter, Caitlin, to the New Apostolic Reformation. And you were troubled that your church was playing New Apostolic Reformation music. They were playing Jesus Culture, you actually approached your church leadership. I think you also wrote some notes to area churches, but let's start with your former church. What happened when you approached them?
8: Hi, Jan. Thank you for having me. Yes. Yes, we felt like a year previous to all this, my husband being on the worship team played some of the Jesus Culture music that We started feeling troubled about it, but then, especially when we heard your program about Caitlin, we dug deeper, and that's when we approached our church and were told that they didn't have any time to really check into other people's ministries. We were told basically what our own character flaws were, and they never really even approached what the theological viewpoint was in the paper that we wrote. We felt like they were dismissing the whole issue as being a non-issue.
7: And you tried only one time, obviously. You weren't a pest, in other words.
8: Well, we had mentioned it previously in passing, and we're told that as long as the lyrics were okay, then it's okay. And we accepted it, sort of but we never felt comfortable with that.
7: Now, my understanding is you wrote to other churches in your area, and what was that?
8: We wrote to other churches afterward. The question was, how do you handle Jesus' culture music in your church? And we received one response from one pastor, and it's the current church that we're going to now.
7: And he looked into it. He took you very seriously. He actually did some research. Is that right?
8: he did his own research. Once he finished his research, I can't remember exactly what his words were, but that he would not allow that in his church anymore.
7: You were concerned because the music, number one, was endorsing poor theology, and you were concerned that young people, particularly young people, might be encouraged to visit the places that Birth these various organizations, Jesus Culture, Hillsong, etc., that the church was giving a stamp of approval, young people could be led astray. Am I right?
8: Exactly. I believe that their logic would be something like, our church plays their music, so what harm would there be in going to visit
7: I think I'm going to play a little bit of. Now, this is your new church because you heard from this one particular pastor who said he was going to actually research. This is so rare, folks. I think part of it is. The busyness of pastors, and perhaps they just really don't want to take the time to search these things out. So you visited the church that actually responded, and that happened to be First Baptist Church of Kingsland, Texas, Pastor David Henneke. Am I pronouncing that name right? Yes, that's all correct. You visited the church, and he actually preached a sermon on what we're talking about. I'm sure that was rather shocking to you. It was. Let's just play a real short clip of that particular message
3: also found in the music that we listen to as well to which that question was posed to me so in light of that making the decision that right now we as a church will no longer sing songs from Bethel from Bethel collective from Hillsong from Hillsong United we're not singing songs from Jesus culture we're not singing songs from Jeremy Riddle from Cory Asbury and a list of 15 or 16 other different artists. So why are we taking this position? Why are we no longer singing their music? Why are we no longer going to be doing that? Because they align themselves with or they come from churches that are theologically problematic, if not outright heretical. It's like, you got to be careful. You can't just pull the good that's in those songs and say, it's okay for us just to sing the good stuff and, and avoid the, the other stuff. It's not how it works. You do realize, or maybe you don't, when you purchase an album from them or when their church sings a song of theirs, that we are financially supporting their ministries. So when this church, in order to be able to play music that is copyrighted, we have to purchase on an annual basis something that's called the CCLI. It's a license. It gives you permission to sing copyrighted music. And then you turn in a list of songs and how many times you sing them, you have to report this kind of stuff. And so what happens is each church that pays a license fee, when they collect all the data and information, then those uh, artists or those groups receive compensation based upon the number of times their song gets sung in a number of churches. So when we sing one of their songs, we become financially contributors of their churches that they come from. And there's where the problem comes in. I come back to him, and so let's just camp out here for a moment. I'll start with Brian Houston of Hillsong and Hillsong United. Hillsong Church is the Pentecostal megachurch that's affiliated within the Australian Christian churches. It is the Australian branch of the Assemblies of God. And part of their doctrinal belief is that of the prosperity gospel. This quote comes directly from Hillsong's website. It says, We believe that God wants to heal and transform us so that we can live healthy and blessed lives in order to help others more effectively. And this falls in line with the teaching that God always wills to heal. And that blessed equals healthy. That's the prosperity gospel, which adds that God's desire is to enrich you financially. And just to make sure you don't think I'm grabbing at straws just from one line from their website, let me read to you a direct quote from their pastor. He published a book. His book was published many years ago but the name of the book ought to get our attention you need more money it's his book in his book you need more money on page number eight brian houston says we have to become comfortable with wealth and break the bondage guilt and condemnation of impoverished thinking poverty is definitely not god's will for his people in fact his promises talk of blessing and prosperity
7: that was Pastor David Henneke from First Baptist Church in Kingsland, Texas, who took a stand. Carol, what was the result of him taking that stand with that message? I,
8: as far as I know, he, there have been a few families that have left the church, but we've had several more come for the purpose of his message. They're here because they've been searching for a place that's going to stand on the truth. Going to stand on this and truth. And have a true shepherd.
7: You are talking to people on Facebook. Actually, I think you're talking uh, heavily about some of the perils of the things we're talking about for this whole hour, and you're talking about some issues with the New Apostolic Reformation churches. What are you learning there?
8: I'm learning there are many, many people that are wanting to have the kind of pastor that I now have. They're hungry for somebody who's going to stand on the word. They also, again, I mentioned a true shepherd is somebody who's going to protect their flock. Right. When somebody's playing music that you don't really know if is good or not, you need somebody in that kind of position that's going to filter. And I feel like it's very important to have a leader that will filter that. The group that is on Facebook, they're called NAR Heresy Watch. They have an approval where you can sign on, but they ask questions. And there's about 600
7: members. So have you personally, when you left that one particular church or when you joined this newer church, have you had some pushback?
8: We have. We've had quite a bit. They want very much to be able to listen to what they want to listen to, and that's fine. I don't have any objection to what people listen to in their home or in their cars. But when it comes to music that's offered as holy worship to a holy God in a church setting— it becomes a completely different conversation.
7: And then when the false theology is being promoted at the same time, or the repetitious words, or the heavy beat, I mean, that isn't always the case, but frequently it is. And is. We've talked this hour right. about some of the volume of the music, etc.
8: Right. My position would be Ephesians 5.11, take no part in the fruitless deeds of darkness, mm-hmm. but rather expose them.
7: Carol, I want to thank you for taking a stand. I want to thank your pastor, too, Pastor David Heneke, and that's First Baptist Church, Kingsland, Texas, who stood for truth, at least as it concerns the issue that we've been talking about. Folks, we're going to continue this next week for at least a segment of my next week's program. Let me go out saying this, that the worship wars are real. There are 900 references to music in the Bible. God loves it and knows that it ministers to people. Can we get good music back in the church since music has driven away many people from church? The joyful noise unto the Lord has become just that, noise. Let me go out saying this, that the music, you know, it shouldn't be about us. It should be about worshiping God. It shouldn't be about growing a church, but about honoring God and thanking him for his goodness. We'll pick up on this next week. Be sure to come back. I'll have my same guests on, Eric Barger, Pastor Brandon Holthouse. Won't you join me next week? Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again.
1: Over the years, we have heard from thousands expressing various kinds of troubling church issues. We are thankful that many pastors are trying to hold to biblical truth. Write us through our website, olivetreeviews.org. That's olivetreeviews.org. Call us Central Time at 763-559-4444. That's 763-559-4444. We get our mail by writing to Olive Tree Ministries in Jan Markell, Box 1452, Maple Grove, Minnesota, 55311. That's Box 1452, Maple Grove, Minnesota, 55311. All gifts are tax deductible. Join us next week when we present Part 2 of The Worship Wars.